every time I changed direction, every time I changed careers, there was somebody that saw potential in me that I didn't always see in myself. My job was to suck it up and go, okay, I'm terrified, but I'm going to go try that anyway. And it advanced me to where I am today. Welcome back to the Inspired Execution Podcast. Each episode shares the experience and learnings of a world-class leader on their journey to success. The guests on this podcast are bold, brilliant, and not afraid to change. As you navigate your own path, we hope you feel inspired by their stories, lessons learned, and the vision of the future. This week, we're joined by Elizabeth Hunter, a telecom expert and advocate for diversity and inclusion. As Senior Vice President of Technology at T-Mobile, she's been changing the way we talk to each other one cell tower at a time. We talked about how success doesn't always come from climbing one ladder, tips for creating an inclusive world, and so much more. Let's dive in. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Chad. I'm excited to talk to you today. It's awesome. You're a tech executive at T-Mobile, but you went to college. Your dream was to become an editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine, and you even considered going to law school. So tell us a little bit about your journey. That's fascinating. Vogue magazine, law school, and a tech exec at Timo, right? Yeah, it's definitely nonlinear. So when I was growing up, I did every extracurricular after-school activity known to man. I'm not very good at sitting still. And the thing that I gravitated toward most was creative things, drawing, painting, theater, writing. And so I thought that my career path was going to be in something more creative. I couldn't imagine sitting in an office at a desk. I couldn't imagine going into tech. I loved clothes and I love shoes and I loved magazine layouts. And so I decided I wanted to be the editor-in-chief of Vogue, which is the, and still is pretty much the preeminent fashion magazine in the world. And so I went to college for that. I double majored in journalism and graphic design. And I was reading a book one day about a journalist and it said, do you want to do things or do you want to write about the things that other people do? And I had this liminal moment and I went, oh shit. Well, I don't want to write about things other people do. Like I want to do the things but I didn't know what the things were. I had no idea because that would have been my plan. And I grew up thinking that everybody knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. And that was your purpose and your passion. And everybody was supposed to know what that was by the time that they were 18, which I've subsequently found out is not at all the case. But at the time, that's what I believed. And so I, I had this kind of like internal crisis where I didn't know what to do. I changed my major because I knew I didn't want to be a journalist anymore. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at arguing. I'll go to law school. And somewhere in between the finishing of school and the going to law school, I decided to take a break. And I got a job uh, as a temporary secretary at a power company in an IT department, mostly because my friend ran the temp agency. And so I show up. I had primarily been using Macs. I barely knew how to log into Windows machine. This was back when Windows 95 was brand new. And... After two weeks, he calls me into his office. I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna get fired. I can't pay my rent. What am I gonna do? And he says, Elizabeth, you seem to be doing a pretty good job, but I'm really confused as to why you're a secretary. You just don't seem like the rest of the secretaries here. And so I told him my sad little tale of woe and how I needed to pay my rent. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up and I thought I might go to law school. And he says, well, why don't you work in IT? 
And I looked him dead in the face and I said, no, IT is really boring. <laughs> right? Yeah. And luckily he didn't throw me out of his office because this was a guy who had dedicated his career to being in IT. And he kind of chuckled and he said, well, IT isn't boring. Why do you think that? And I said, well, I took this programming class in COBOL. And like once I got the little ball to bounce across the screen or whatever it was supposed to do, like I, I don't want to do it again. Like I've solved the problem. I want to move on to something else. It just seems really repetitive to me. Uh, and I see all these guys sitting outside in the, their cubes. And that, I, don't, I can't imagine that. And he said, well, IT is way more than that. There is working with customers to figure out what they want. There is helping us design interfaces because GUIs were pretty new back then. There's, there's all kinds of things you could do. You could be an architect. You could be a test engineer. There's all, all these things. And then I thought, well... I don't really like being a secretary. And so I guess I could try that. So he hired me as his chief of staff. And then I subsequently went on to work for him at a little wireless company in Oklahoma a few years later. And that's how I got into both IT and the telecom industry. That is a fascinating, fascinating story. So it seems like you haven't just climbed one ladder, right? You've gone through a jungle gym, right? And so you've learned so many skills. What's the one thing you learned about yourself with all these zigzag transitions that you did? What I learned about myself was that I had to figure out how to tap into that reserve in, that everybody has in them that overcomes fear. Because like I said, I thought everybody knew what they wanted to be when they grew up and everybody already sort of knew how to do things. And I didn't have that. And I didn't know that. And so I learned how to push myself through the fear. The fear never goes away. But how basically not to be afraid of being afraid. Yeah, I, I, the, the way I, I think, and please tell me if this is what you were saying as well. It's, I've always thought about getting comfortable with the fear of uncertainty. Right? Because the uncertainty will not go away, nor will the fear. You may, as time goes on and you become more successful and confident, the fear subsides, but it doesn't always go away. But no matter what, you just have to get comfortable with it. Exactly. Because it's always there. It might be a little bit or might be a lot, but it's there. So... Since then, you've obviously built a successful career in the service provider business, the telco business, and you've held leadership positions at AT&T and now at T-Mobile. What has been your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge has been trying to bring people together and speak in a language that each of them can understand. Because most of my roles, whether they've been on the technology side or on the business side when I was in product management or M&A, everybody has a language that's, that they understand and words that they understand, but they don't always jive. And getting people to kind of bridge that communication without getting frustrated or angry or upset and kind of walking away from the conversation, that's the biggest challenge. But it's also the most rewarding thing when you get it right. What are you the most proud of in your current role? The thing I'm most proud of is the opportunities that I am able to provide people and specifically women and people of color and other minorities that don't find a career in tech as easily as others. Can we just double click on that for a, for a minute? We can all point back through our careers and there's somebody somewhere that has significantly helped us. And, and, and in many of our cases, it's been multiple people that have helped us. So two-part question, who helped you on your journey and what do you do to pay it forward? I've had many. The guy I talked about 
who gave me my first opportunity in IT. And God knows where I would be had that not happened. Like, I think about that all the time. Yeah. To believed in me, saw something that I didn't see, gave me an opportunity when I had literally no experience. His name's Tom Morgan. He, he is still a CIO. I worked for another guy also named Tom, Tom Coates. He gave me an opportunity to move into M&A. Also saw something in me that I didn't see, kind of pushed me uh, into it when I was really afraid to go take that leap. I have a great mentor to this day, Rudy Herman, that I work for at AT AT&T, who really not just helped me in my career, but helped me personally, helped me feel like it was okay to set boundaries for myself personally when I had a baby. Cody Sanford, who was the CIO at T-Mobile no, for a number Cody. of years. Yes, I know. He's <laughs> somebody that I worked for and with for eight or nine years, and I literally never stopped learning from him. But all of those people showed up for me in good times, and they showed up for me in bad times, and they helped push me and become a better technologist, a better business person, a better leader, and most importantly, a better person. And so when you talk about how do you pay it forward, I think very consciously every day about what I am doing to help others get further in their careers or further in whatever it is that they want to develop in. I'm very conscious about the the impact that I have on people because you never know when you're having an impact on somebody. And the majority of the time when people come up and tell me about something that I have said or done for them, it's not the big thing that I thought that I did. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the promotion or or recognition. But often it's, I was having a really bad day and you asked me how I was doing or you gave me a hug or you said this thing in this, you know, presentation I heard and it really resonated with me or, you know, this thing was going on with me and you had no idea. Like you just, you never know. And that's positive and negative, by the way. Yeah, no, for sure. That is very well put because, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how much the small stuff actually impacts. And I try to do something every day, big or small, and it helps and it makes me feel good, too. So so diversity is hard right? Because we are undoing and all of us understand the math problem, the top of the funnel. How do you do that? How do you go off? And I call it bet on people and, and grow them, right? There's a lot of undoing to do. And there are many, many things that we do. I find inclusion to be an even harder problem than diversity because it goes beyond the things that we talk about on a regular basis. What would be your advice to coaches to leaders, to individuals about inclusion? There's no one-size-fits-all answer to this. The, the thing I try to focus on is how do you help people feel like they belong? Because you can be included, but if you don't feel like you belong there and that people accept you, really, the other stuff doesn't matter because you aren't able to bring your best self unless you belong And you feel like whatever it is that's inside you that makes you special or different can come out. It's a very tailored approach. And the thing that I try to do as a leader, because one thing that I think is common about belonging is you have to feel like other people are different so you can be different. And so I talk about things that have made me different. I talk about my career journey because that makes some people feel like they belong, even if they aren't like the top technologist. I talk about things that I've screwed up mistakes that I have made. I make fun of myself a lot. I use humor because people want that real authentic experience with the leader. 
because then they feel like they can be real and authentic also. When you are a leader, it's a matter of example. And then if you do that, then your team will feel like they can do it. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. The word belong comes up, but it doesn't come up as often, right? But I think if we can just have people feel like safely belong is probably the way I think about it, right? But the safety of, you know, I don't have to be like you. I can just be me. And so one of the things we talk about at Datastacks is we are a large group of misfits, right? Because we all are so different and coaching and leading misfits is extra work because it's so much easier when it's homogeneous, right? But I think it's well worth it because the experience is so much more enriching while you're walking the path and when you get to the destination. Absolutely. I mean, I spent uh, lots of years subconsciously trying to be a white guy because that's all that was around me, frankly, <laughs> right? And then- Love that. <laughs> I, I did, like, because, and, and being the only woman in a room, I realized along the way, like the times I was most successful weren't the times I was trying to be like somebody else. It was the times that the thing within me came out. Yeah, yeah, no, and one of the tricks that we do, and you tell me if you actually do this, is there are a lot of people who do not think on their feet, but they are very deep thinkers, and you want their point of view, and so, one of the things that we land up doing in meetings is actually asking people that generally do not come forward, making the space and saying, you know, what do you think? And if they don't have a response, say, why don't you think about it? I'll ask other folks and come back to you. Is, is, is that a trick that you've used or is there something else that you use in meetings, how you get them to be more inclusive? I do, but I had to learn that because I do think on my feet really quickly and for a while longer than I should have, honestly. It didn't occur to me that everybody couldn't do that. And so I do ask people that are quiet or for people on my team that I know are kind of longer term processors and need a day or whatever. Sometimes I will seed questions to them early so they have a chance to think about it beforehand. And sometimes I follow up later. And unless it's a really time critical decision, I'll try to circle back to something. So we make sure that we get as many opinions as we can with people that either have really short-term think-on-their-feet ability or need longer time to really think something through because then you get a more informed opinion. That's awesome. So you recently joined Chief, a network aimed at driving more women in positions of power and keeping them there. What can we all do to strengthen our support? to do the things that Chief does, right, in our businesses on an everyday basis? There's lots of things. So I joined Chief because I, I was really searching for that community of women and that support structure, people that had some common experience with me. And in, in our first couple of meetings, I found that the things that we were talking about really weren't that different depending on level. Some of them are, are things you only deal with as a person of, in senior leadership, but some of them aren't. Some of them are the same things that not just women, but lots of people deal with like, you say something in a meeting that's a great idea, nobody really reacts, and five minutes later, somebody else says it, and it's a, like the most brilliant thing ever. And people talking over you or interrupting you in meetings, or being excluded when the guys go golf or go to lunch or whatever. Like these things, those are all things that I really hope we would not be dealing with by, by this point, but we are. We shouldn't be have to deal with this stuff, right? Frankly, it's just <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. But the things that, that I do and that I ask other people do are pay attention to when those things are happening in the meetings you're in, the rooms you sit in, and call people out on it. 
like I will do it politely the first time and then I will go to the person and say, hey, I don't know if you realized you interrupted me or interrupted this person. I don't know if you realized that this person said that idea that you said five minutes later, but you need to be more conscious about that because I'm sure you would not want to be taking credit from or cutting somebody off or, or something like that. If they do it a second time, I will gently call them out in the meeting and then I'll talk to them afterwards and say, hey, I've talked to you about this before. Now, if you do this a third time, I am going to call you out in the meeting in front of people. So it's your choice about whether that happens, but it's going to happen. So you have an escalation path. <laughs> and I have it because earlier in my career, I would just call them out pretty rudely in the meeting. Now, that might be an effective way of getting them to not do it in front of me, but it is not a particularly effective way of getting somebody to really change their behavior for the right reason. And I don't really believe in shame as as a primary method of getting somebody to change. But I'll go there if I have to, but at least to give somebody an opportunity to understand what they're doing. Because what I found is more often than not, they don't realize they're doing it. And they're not necessarily doing it to be mean or a bad person or anything like that. It, it's just there are so many subconscious biases that people have that they don't even realize they're going on. But once in a while, you find a jerk. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. That's a, I, I love the escalation path. And I actually think it's the micro moments, right? I think you're right. Behavioral changes happen where you can take somebody aside. That's awesome. What a great conversation. We're going to go into what we call rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a few questions and you have to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's your favorite song you jam out to? True Faith by New Order. What's a question no one asks you? What my favorite word is. What is your favorite word? I have two. One <laughs> is onomatopoeia, because it's fun to say. Onomatopoeia is when the word means the same as the sound like buzz or hum. I just like to say it. And second, my real favorite word is within, because you... If you think about where things come from, you know, we've talked about diversity and we've talked about you know, how do you find your purpose? It's within and you have to find strength within. And what makes you special is what is within you. And there is a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that I love that says, what lies before us and what lies behind us are small matters compared to what lies within us. I just love that. That is beautifully said. If you could change one thing about the world as it is today, what would it be? I wish it weren't so driven by fear. We've talked about how fear can hold you back, but in a, it, it, a broader sense, when I see the division in the world and when I see just the kind of horrible online culture of people being just being awful, most of it's driven by fear, fear of what's different than them, fear of what isn't comfortable. And I'm kind of surprised that it's not talked about more about like how that is the basis for so much that divides us in the world. I really wish people were a, more conscious of it and had more practice in, like we talked about, like being comfortable with it and pushing through it. It really allows people to find things that are common instead of focusing on what's different. No, I absolutely agree. One word that best describes a great leader. Empathetic. Elizabeth, this was absolutely phenomenal loved our conversation. I think our audience is going to get so much out of this. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Chad. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Execution Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. We have many more phenomenal guests and inspiring stories to come. So be sure to join us next time.